It's Enrico Palazzo! How about that? Welcome to episode 11 of Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. Today's show focuses on the Bless You Boys Fantasy Baseball League Draft. Special guests Dan White and Jason Mangold discuss draft strategies and dissect various league etiquette scenarios with your host, Michael Gauvier. Now here he is. Take it away, Mike! All right, welcome to the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. We have a very special episode today. It's about a draft for our home league. Bless you, boys. So this is very league-specific, but it still connects to other people because we're going to be talking about player selections and analyzing teams and decisions that player managers made so it's very exciting i think it's gonna be fun i got two great guys on the line with me today they are home league brethren really top-notch fellas uh dan white and jason mangold dan how you doing i'm good sorry my dog came back in from outside apologies all right and uh jason mangold how's it going i'm doing great man uh very excited thanks for having me on appreciate it yeah this is exciting i it's league specific to us, but I still think it's going to be interesting, and hopefully uh, the listeners could take away and have a distraction. I think uh, we're going to have some fun on this pod. So we are the Hey, it's a Rico Palazzo baseball podcast. You can catch us on Twitter, Palazzo Podcast, and if you want to email us questions, if you hear something on the show that you have a curiosity about, hit us up at Palazzo Podcast at protonmail.com. What is it, Jason? How many L's? How many Z's? Oh, two L's, two Z's. Don't forget. <laughs> two L's, two Z's. Very good. He's learning. Uh, all right, so why don't you guys talk about who you are initially in terms of being a fantasy player so people can understand you. Uh, Jason, why don't you go first? Yeah, I've been doing, um, you know, I, I started off doing fantasy baseball. I, I think I'm, on my initial league that I'm in, we're on season 12. Uh, so I've been doing this for quite a while. started off uh, doing Roto, um, and I was garbage when I started out, right? I just got into a friend's league, and um, oddly, I've been in that league for 12 years. I've got second place six out of 12 seasons, which is pretty insane. Uh, never won the Roto League, but uh, I've won a couple. You know, I'm now I'm running uh, four leagues this year. <laughs> um, I, four? I've a couple championships, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's been good. So, really into fantasy baseball. Uh, so much, I so I cut off fantasy football for a while because, you know. This yes! Woo-hoo! Yeah, so. Uh, but, yeah, so I love it. Follow, you know, follow all these guys. That's so awesome. And you're a big White Sox fan. Uh, actually, I'm going to be a big White Sox fan this year, but I'm actually a huge Cubs fan. So, uh, you know, we are Chicago. We all support either side. It's good for the city. Really? Yeah. I didn't know I'm that was possible. <laughs> no, no. Uh-oh. Speaking of Cardinals fans, Dan White, why don't you tell us about yourself? What's up, guys? Yeah, St. Louis, born and raised. Um, season ticket holder from the age of about, well, as long as I can remember, about three until I left for school. So, Many games with my dad on the third baseline, um, watching Lee Smith warm up for many years. Um, but yeah, I've been playing fantasy baseball for a very long time, since basically seventh grade. 
when we, we had a computer lab in my high school and uh, it started out with Baseball Challenge on ESPN, which was a $50, $50 million budget um, with an increasing value in players over the course of the season. But it was a daily um, rotational league. It was a lot of fun. And then ever since then, just been, been playing fantasy baseball on different platforms. Um, Yahoo since about 2003. But I've run leagues, um, participated in leagues. At one point was in six, seven different leagues. Now I'm par- I've paired it down to two. Um, prefer the larger, more kind of competitive leagues like, like bless you boys. Um, but yeah, I've been doing it a really long time and, and absolutely love it and really have begun to appreciate the banter amongst the managers more than anything as time has gone on. So yeah, that's kind of my story as it relates to fantasy baseball. Beautiful. We got two fantasy baseball fanatics. These guys are really into it. They know the game inside and out. So I believe you can trust their judgment. Uh, we're going to talk about the bless you boys. You guys have a lot of leagues you're in. I, I consider it a home league where I spend most of my time. What, what about you guys? Is this like your, your, it takes up most of your time, or is this just one league of many to you? Not that it minimizes it. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely the, uh, the most competitive league I've been in. Um, I think top to bottom, all 14, it's a 14-team league. All managers are, you know, really stellar. Um, it's pretty interesting because it's a keeper league. We, do, uh, we start with six keepers. We go up to eight, then ten then go back to eight, then six. So I actually came in, uh, Dan White uh, had, a, had a team, uh, and he sold <laughs> uh, his entire team. Uh, he had no picks until the 10th round. I came in the next season. Uh, we are doing the, we're starting on the upward on the eight picks. And uh, my number one player on my team was, uh, you know, Adrian Beltre, and his average draft position was like 64. Uh, and I had no picks till the 10th round. So I've been rebuilding a team, and it was actually – uh, I would actually wouldn't even join the league, but I was flying and my buddy sent me a text like, Hey, you want to join a fantasy league? Here's the team. And I couldn't log into it because I was on a flight. And I was like, I'll do it. And the next morning I get a text. Uh, I look at the team. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> uh, but it's cool. It's been really, if nothing else, it's been all right. But uh, it's funny because Dan, uh, you know, Dan dumped this team on me and all of a sudden he gets to respawn two years later with <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's no league like this with the respawns. It's very strange. Respawn, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah ir- so. the irony of Jason taking over my old dump team is actually really funny. It is. I mean, you got guy like Casey, who's another member. He left and now he's back. Cause we had, this is a big story, by the way, we're going to talk about baseball news before we dive deeper into this, but these guys screwed us the day of the draft right now. I, you, Jason, you know, these guys better than I do. Uh, Jason is from, you're from Chicago, right? Yeah, I'm from Chicago. Okay. I lived in Chicago for quite a while, so I know yeah. through Casey and some of these other friends, yeah. So these two guys, day of the draft, they text the commissioner on the morning of and say, hey, good luck with the draft, guys. We're out of here. They totally screwed us, and that meant we had to bring in a guy that we booted, Casey, <laughs> last year due to an extremely, what was described as an unfair trade. Guys, what, are, what is our analysis of this whole crazy situation? So, so to take it a step further, uh, it was my wedding weekend. So I was – I got yes. – Saturday, I'm hosting the draft on Sunday, which you know, gave, you know, my, my new wife wasn't too excited that I was having guys over to, to draft the next day. Uh, and we're throwing a big party to have everybody over at the same time. So I wake up from, you know, the wedding night at 7am to come over here to see is, you know, the East Coast people are quitting. Uh, and we don't even know if the draft's going to happen. So uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, so it was, it was a little hectic, but we, uh, we figured it out. 
Um, and then it's just fun. You know, we, we should jump into that Casey trade from last year. Dan and I were looking at it earlier, but yeah, yeah I think, I think the, the challenge with that, uh, those guys leaving the league from my perspective was it was clearly premeditated, right? So it was designed to be disruptive in a way that I think put us all on our heels, but the reality is it was probably for the best given, given the activity level of the managers that were involved. And now that Casey's joined, he's not only active, but he knows what he's doing. So the net net is a positive, but it was a pretty disruptive uh, day for the commissioner and uh, all of our team league members. I completely agree that they tried to screw us and say, "Hey guys, eat shit," but it turned out to be a complete positive for us, and the draft went smooth and flawlessly. So if you guys ever hear this, hey, fuck off! You tried to fuck us, but we won. We overcame. We overcame. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about that trade, and we're going to talk more about the settings and what kind of league this is. But today, guys, Chris Sale finally is getting Tommy John, the inevitable conclusion to this silly drama that we all know was going to happen. Is anyone surprised that the news came out today? He's getting TJ? No, it's, 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 uh, I think it was pretty expected. But it's really interesting because I, you know, I actually messaged both of you because I was in another league where we're, um, we're just about to draft next week, and I had a keeper decision on Sale. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was debating between Sale, Darvish, and Chapman, and I had Sale penciled in all year. And then I was like, I'm going to shoot these guys a message, and both of you unequivocally said, "Don't keep Sale." Without question. Yeah. And, and then, I, funny, Casey, his commissioner in that league, just bashed me for not keeping Sale. And then, you know, I sent him the the shush message today. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's, it's you know, I, it's expected, but uh, and when you look at that Red Sox rotation, it is garbage. It is really bad. I don't know if you. You, you don't know if you move up Rodriguez in your 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 um, on your board or what at this point, but that that rotation is somebody's going to get wins there. I'm not sure who it is though, because that team that that rotation is terrible. Yeah, it's rough. You know, sale sale as a as an as an entity the last couple of years has been a little up and down, velocity up and down, and my general sentiment on guys like that that seem to be teetering back and forth, it's better to avoid if you can. Um, especially in a keeper situation. I was surprised Rob even kept him, to be honest. This is the manager, and bless you boys, that had him before. He even was kind of shown to be hurt. Um, but a guy of that size and lanky frame throwing as fast as he does with that much velocity, it almost feels like it's a matter of time. But, yeah, I was. Um, I, it's, a, it's a tough call, but the reality is he's out, and the Red Sox are in a lot of trouble. I think that rotation is, is in is, – is in, it's going to be a rough ride for them. Um, I think Rodriguez can be really good. Um, but uh, beyond that, Jason and I were talking earlier, I don't think there's much there to be happy about. Yeah. Now you hope uh, uh, Evaldi maybe bounces back and can ride them some more innings. But, yeah, it gets pretty weak pretty quick. Um, yeah. I wonder – you know, I don't think Sale will ever be the guy he was. But, you know, with TJ being how it is these days and the season being delayed till God knows when – I think that uh, his value, if you're in a dynasty league where you could keep somebody forever, at, I would keep him at long term if you could have enough DL, excuse me, IL spots. What do you guys think? Would you keep him on it? If you had five IL spots and you could keep him with 15 or more or in a dynasty that has, you know, 40 keepers, would you keep him? No brand? I think you have to in, in a situation like that. If you're talking, like, it, that's actually the interesting thing when his arm hurt. Uh, I think his ADP was around 15th round. So that's probably about where he should be in a keeper league, that sort of stuff. And, that, you know, if he does come back from TJ, he's still young enough um, where he could be, his, you know, his upside's still massive. And, again, as I was just saying, someone's got to get Ws in that rotation, and he's signed for the long term. So, um, so yeah, no, I still okay. – 
and long-term. And by the way, anybody that's taken a win here on sales, uh, you know, everyone's been talking about his arm angle and everything forever, but that lasted, you know, lasted longer than anybody ever thought. So yeah, right. seven, seven, 200 strikeout seasons in a row, yeah, I think, yeah, or yeah, seven yeah, out of eight. Right. So, yeah. I think it's safe to say that he went, when healthy, he's still very productive. And there's been a lot of guys, Chris Carpenter, John Smalls, you name it, that have come back from pretty significant injuries and been just fine. So I'm sure he'll be fine. Well, look at all the top end studs that were being drafted as far as starting pitcher this year. So if sale has Tommy John comes back at 32, 33, I mean, you got Scherzer, Verlander. These guys were some of the top picks this year. So old guys can still be your studs, right? Yeah, no doubt. Scherzer will be 36 by the time the season starts. Oh, man. Wow. Whenever that is. Yeah, no, we have no projections on that. I, I do want to throw this out there, and I'm not the know-it-all. I don't know, jack squat. I'm just a guy in a dining room talking to two other guys in their chairs. <laughs> but – you know, I think maybe the season will start more towards June 1st than we think. There's a lot of people who keep pushing it and pushing it, but it's hard to see the, you know, beyond what's right in front of us, you know? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if the season started before June 1st. I really would. Um, some stuff I saw today, they said, sounds like the national bell curve will hit its tipping point around May 2nd, which would mean from that point forward, the cases of coronavirus should begin to uh, – dissipate okay. uh, but if, even if that happens you're talking about a six-week window from may 1st and or may 2nd which puts it puts just puts us mid-june again that's preliminary i guess based on some models they're they're running currently um the cdc and that's also assuming people continue to do what they're doing now but i think june 1st is very aggressive i'd be i listen i would love for that to happen but um everything very aggressive. I, really? yeah to me that to me that's aggressive like i think we're looking at probably mid to late june at the earliest but again that's just my perspective so knowing that i just had an interesting situation i want to get your guys' take on it. so uh, obviously you know we're looking at mid-june we're going to have to have a mini spring training all those sort of things um so i was in my other league and we had a huge debate whether we draft or not right so we've got a are we going to push the draft back to june 1st or whenever we get a date or are we just going to do it now and be able to, you know, we got a whole season of, of making trades. And, and obviously I said I had to make the sale decision. It's because half the league decided, hey, let's, let's go ahead with the draft. And, and I think that was, I thought it was insane making yeah. the decision. Um, what are you guys' you know, what, what kind of tips would you give to commissioners and that sort of stuff going through that right now? Well, I think we know where Dan stands. I mean, push it, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, if you've, if you've got the opportunity to push it, push it. Um, I would say a safe bet is probably like a mid-May or early June, right? Just just for now. Um, but I would imagine we'll have more information in the next probably two or three weeks where we could really say. But yeah, I'd say push it. I mean, listen, if you're in a keeper league and you've got guys that are, you know, coming back from injury or if you're drafting even a fresh league and you've got guys like Stanton and Judge that are, you know, questionably high draft picks, give yourself some time to evaluate. Because um, if those guys are healthy in two or three weeks and showing – that's a, that changes your draft, right? Changes your order, and it gives people a better better ability to predict, um, you know, where those where those guys are going to go. Yeah, get more radical guys like Carlos Rodon. You know, he wasn't supposed to come back till July, August. Now, if the season starts later like that, he could get a half a season and no problem. That completely right. raises his value if he can stay healthy. God, I love his stuff. God, I wish he could stay healthy. Yeah, exponentially. Initially, I was like, I want a draft because I'm bored. But I got these slow drafts that are still going on, like uh, the Raz Slam and another um, – I mean, some best ball slow draft. And it's just kind of kind of lost my passion a little. I got to be honest. <laughs> and I love baseball. 
Yeah. I find myself, I think I agree. Might as well push it because we don't know what's going to happen. And it just, it's hard to gauge who you'd like to select based on an unknown circumstance, you know? Right. Right. It's, it's uncharted territory, right? We've never dealt with anything like this um, other than maybe a strike, which is something that hasn't happened for quite some time. But yeah, I mean, this is pretty, pretty unique. So give yourself more time if you can. Yeah. And I don't play any, I don't play any full dynasties. I do a lot of, a lot of keeper leagues or, you know, even with having 10, 12 keepers in some of them, but I'll tell you one thing that has been cool about this is having a whole off season with like, cause this is essentially is an extended off season that to make trades with your full team is kind yeah, of pretty um, wild. I will yeah. say that that's uh that's different, but it also, it's hard to look at my, you know, transactions and stuff and not want to make a move every day, knowing I got to hold those back for, for the whole season. Right. Uh, we know how you are, Jason. You get that. Itchy hey, I'm not finger. the guy sitting at five right now, like Dan. So <laughs> we all know John is the worst though, when it comes to just, I got a trade today. Let's do it. Am I wrong? Nope, not at all. All right, there it is, John. League has spoken. Addicted to trade. <laughs> uh, so what about this minor league draft maybe being canceled completely? Does this affect fantasy in any way, or is this more just a disappointing baseball news story? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Um, if, it, if it actually happens, I think it's a terrible thing for baseball and, and obviously people trying to come up. Um, but beyond that, from fantasy standpoint i still have all these questions about you know as and we're going to get through the draft but as you draft rookies when are they actually going to come up and now if you're looking at not a, you're not having a new crop of players that are going to be pushing these guys through are we going to be holding people back longer you know what what sort of things are going to happen there um and the other thing is the ifa draft i i, I think that's even more that'll have a bigger impact on the 2021 fantasy baseball season than potentially the the amateur draft um, so I, I think, and I would actually say the IFA draft is more likely to be what, what gets cut off. Um, so that, that's going to be really interesting. Um, and as you guys know, every year I'm, de- well, actually this year you did it, Govier, but in general, every year I'm the, I'm the one picking all these guys from the IFA draft. So, uh, <laughs> pretty interesting. Yeah. If the international free agents are not available this year, that does, that throws a wrench into things. I, I think it's disappointing. Uh, Fantasy-wise, it's somewhat of a big deal, depending on how deep your league is. In our league, it's kind of a big deal, but not a huge deal. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. All right. So speaking of our league, let's get into it. We're, so we're here to talk about our draft. It happened on March 8th, 2020, the day after Jason got married. Congratulations again, Jason. Jessica. Thanks, Woohoo! <laughs> I wish I could have been there. I... I was there in spirit, and I'm sure you guys had a great time. I heard the uh, syrup was delicious on Sunday. So, Yeah, it was good. A lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a league of 14 teams. Uh, Dan, you are a veteran of this league, the most veteran of the three of us. Why don't you tell us about the basic parameters of the Bless You Boys Fantasy Baseball League? Yeah, so it's your standard 10 by 10 league, um, 14 teams, as you mentioned. I would say – for the most part, you've got about seven or eight managers that have been around, I think, since its inception. I could be off in that number. Maybe maybe seven sounds about right. Um, and for the first few years, call it the first four or five years, um, it was a standard five by five. So you've got runs, home runs, RBIs, and average. Um, and then it was uh, wins, saves, Ks, ERA, and whip. Um, in, in recent, in recent years, we've switched from batting average to on-base percentage, which I think everyone would agree has been a, a positive shift in the right direction, a bit more accurate, um, and a, a bit more telling based on performance. Um, but yeah, it's been an incredibly competitive league since day one. I was invited into the league 
um, by uh, a friend of Casey's, a friend of mine who is a friend of Casey's, who's the one that just recently rejoined the league. Um, and ever since I've been in the league, it's been incredibly um, active, a lot of shit talking, which I think we all appreciate, um, but all in good fun. Um, and also, again, a, a knowledgeable base. People are pretty knowledgeable generally about kind of players and their trajectory, um, as well as understanding kind of where they're coming from. So, um, but yeah, we've had about five different commissioners uh, since I've been in the league, uh, which I think is good. I think for the most part, it's been, it's been good to have that refresh when needed um, and a fresh perspective. Uh, we actually have a new commissioner and a co-commissioner this year, Scott Muldoon um, and Travis Williams. And so, yeah, it's been a fun league. And uh, I was out of it for about two years. I took a break when my, when my second kid was born and um, came back, I guess, I guess it was, yeah, two years ago. So. Yeah, that was a shock. A lot of people were shocked by that, Dan. You were such a diehard. You're such I, a go, 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 go guy. Big diehard, love it, but it, it becomes all, all consuming for me, and I've tried to balance that a bit more over time, um, but it's hard. I, I have a hard time turning that, that trigger off. <laughs> you did co-manage uh, with John briefly, too, right? I did, yeah. Returned. I co-managed for, about, for, for a season when John was floundering. I'm not sure if I helped him very much. I found out pretty quickly yeah. that co-managing is just not in my DNA. I either make the decisions or I don't. Yeah, I don't so think I'm done. story about you co-managing that team. I, uh, I was trying to, you know, like I said, I took over your team. I had this garbage team and I, I'd acquired almost everyone's first round pick because I was just selling players from like April 3rd or something, right? And I wanted Josh Donaldson because he was, uh, you know, he's a top 12 player, but he was, he was, his OBP was massive for this league. And this was and a couple of years ago. A couple, yeah, a couple of years ago before, you know, this is Toronto day. And, um, I was, I kept offering him first round picks and he kept telling me those are useless because it's, you know, they're essentially 11th round picks. Then you came on to co-manage his team. And that day I sent him just, I just, after he'd already told me no by text. I was sending him the like three first rounders for Josh Donaldson and it got accepted within like 10 seconds. <laughs> I was sitting on a bench and I was like, what just happened? I've been, I've been sending him trade the same trade offer for like months. Uh, that it got accepted. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, Dan, Dan told me I had to take this. He's a co-manager now. And it's, like, <laughs> it's so weird. So that's how I knew you came back. Uh, Pull the trigger, man. Full control. Pull the trigger. Yeah, Pull the suddenly trigger things are asking him. Yeah, how about that? That's classic. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that the league is a lot of fun. I enjoy being in it. It's kind of maddening. I'm always for progressive growth change. You know, I wish we had FOB. I hate waiver wire. Um, I've always... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always bothered me like, oh, I was the first guy there or it's just my turn. I like the auction part of it. I think that is a really fun strategic point that kind of boosts the excitement of league during a long season. Yeah, yeah I tend to agree. I think it makes you a lot more accountable for the moves you have to make. In my, in my mind, without a limit of moves per week, it just changes the dynamic significantly, right? And, and with a waiver wire, a guy goes to sleep for a week and he might just miss something or – you know, you blow your blow your wad on a guy like Nick Sinzel last year, which I would have definitively. Yeah. Um, and you know, it ended up, it would have ended up being a terrible move. So it's a prime example of where that it really holds you accountable, and it can impact the rest of your season without question. Yeah, I, I've been in. I was in one other league with Dan before this, and I used to call him Mister Three A.M. because as soon as it <laughs> came over, I always saw three oh one A.M. Dan White would pick up every every day. Uh, yeah, we all yeah. know that guy. Yeah, so uh, now I'm on the you know on the west west yeah, Pacific time zone here, so I might be able to stay up and, and, and snipe you guys. So we'll see. I will That's tell nice you advantage. 
there was a period in time where I was, this is going to sound insane and probably won't surprise most people in this league when they hear it, but where I would set an alarm on my phone where I knew a guy was going to become available and I would wake up and make moves. Whenever the Yahoo system would reset, um, as opposed to wasting a waiver mood, because I know they wouldn't be picked up on waivers, I would actually get up and get them. Um, or if a closer went down with an injury, call it like on the West Coast. So you know, an athletics closure went down at 10 o'clock at night, my time, and I knew that there was a potential a new guy would come up, I would, I would wake back up and pick that guy up before the next morning. So I told Casey that. I, I said, hey, I know Dan. I can't beat Dan because he just sets alarms all the time. And Casey's like, that's conspiracy theory. There's no chance that's right. 100%. He listens to this. He's going to know. Now he's going to know. Time. Yeah, it, it <laughs> runs deep. Though. Like I said, I can't turn that trigger off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was because you had kids and you were just getting, you were up all night anyway. Well, you know, okay, it's a built-in so advantage. More recent development, Govier, fair point. More recent development, there are occasions where I am simply awake because of the kids. So it's kind of a, kind of a counterbalance. Sometimes I need to, other times I'm just up. Hmm. I believe that. Okay, <laughs> that's such a fun <laughs> revelation. All right, so the, uh, so the league, it's 14 teams. It's fun. We enjoy it. Uh, like I said, OBP instead of average. Uh, it's head to head. Some people think head to head sucks. I just did a podcast with uh, Steve Paulo the other day. We talked about how head to head is more random. There's more luck involved. Uh, any quick comments on head to head versus Roto? Head to head sucks for the playoffs. I I, I think you know Roto's super boring all year, but at the end of the year, usually the best team is in the first. You know the best team's coming out of it. And head to head really fun. But when you like last year, I was in a league and I had. I mean, I just sold off my entire team in the offseason because I had all just top five, like within the first five rounds. And I lost in the playoffs to some garbage team. Um, and that's where the head-to-head's terrible. So I, the thing with head-to-head, I usually like to do two-week playoff game, you know, two weeks playoffs, those sort of things, if, if possible. So that, that's where, for me, that's why I like head-to-head all season long, but I just hate the randomness at the end. So I always feel like there has to be uh, some sort of award for a regular season, whether it's if it's monetary, whatever. Um, that's more important to me because anything can happen in the playoffs. I think last year we were like fourth against sixth seed or something like that. Uh, you mean or fourth and fifth or something like that in the finals? Um, and that's pretty. It's pretty standard, right? Yeah, it's funny. I was doing some research on a, another league that I'm in. It's a 16 team, 10 by 10 category league, and on average, the winner of those leagues, it's a head to head. Only six teams make the playoffs. On average, it's been about the fifth or sixth um, seed that's won. So rarely do the first or second seeds actually win. And it's typically, in my mind, it's it's because a lot of those teams that make the playoffs in head-to-head head leagues, they don't make a lot of movement because they've got really good players. Like JP's a good example from last year, which we'll get into. Um, they don't make a lot of moves because they get very comfortable with those teams. And I think that the fifth through fourth through sixth seeds typically are much more kind of hungry and making moves up to the end. And their players are maybe at a, at a, at a tipping point Point where they're actually beginning to perform at the right level um, but I'm with you I think head-to-head is, is not a true representation of talent it's really more luck um, as it relates to pickups moves trades etc um, it is fun it's like a boxing match throughout the season but when you get to the playoffs it's basically a crapshoot you know if, if you've got a week a week matchup and you've got three guys that might be starting on a Monday that normally would you know you might get a couple weeks a year where they start twice in a week and you just happen to have that for the first or second round that's a huge advantage. Um, so head-to-heads, a lot of luck. Um, Timing. You know, a, a lot of good juju, particularly in playoffs. Um, and, you know, Ooh. timing, a couple hot bats. Yeah. 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 So that's it's all it. about that yeah. timing. It's all about timing. I told 
the poet last year. He was the number one seed. He had a killer regular season. I told him all year, you're going to lose in the playoffs. I guarantee it. Because yep. it happened to me in 2018. It happened to Jay in 2017. It just keeps happening every year. The number one seed will never win this league. Yep. Yeah, and thank God we do have a, a payout for that, for that winning that number one overall position, right? So you mitigate some of those some of those losses. But, yeah, it, it's, it's really tough. It's tough to pull all the way through. Okay, so bless you boys is on Yahoo, as we mentioned. And I wanted to talk about that trade we were talking about. Um, I don't know if somebody can pull that up or has. You guys seem to have a good recall. The trade that got Casey kicked out of the league last year at the trade deadline. We had a lot of trades leading up to the deadline. It was right around – the same as the real Major League Baseball trade deadline line last July. Casey made a trade with the now extinct Robill. Is that what we call them? Robill? Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> so Robill, who are uh, – uh, you guys are really disappointing me. I, Bill was already kind of chapping my ass for years, but you know this, his move of bailing on the league the day of the draft will live in infamy as long as – when we're 75 and still in this league, we'll still be talking about that, I swear. But – they made a deal with Casey on the deadline, and Casey decided that they – I don't know if this has been proven. Maybe you guys could chime in on this. Casey sent them a huge offer of players, which was deemed at the time unfair. But upon further review later on, it did not look – doesn't look that bad. What are our thoughts on this trade and the whole situation that got Casey kicked out? So here, yeah, we, we, we pulled oh, it up earlier. Go, go ahead, Jason. You want me to run it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so here's the, here's the trade. I'll let, uh, you know, let Dan do some insight on here. So we've got – Coming from uh, Robill's team, well, we'll go the other way. Going, Casey traded away Hunjin Ryu, Jacob Degrom in his prime, Justin Turner, Elvis Andrus, Craig Kimbrell, Jose Perios, and then a bunch of round, you know, a bunch of late picks. He got back Sonny Gray, who I think as we talked about, it was injured at the time. Uh, Josh Donaldson. Gene Segura, uh, and then a bunch of okay picks. He got a second rounder, a third rounder, two sixths, seventh, an eighth, and two ninths. Uh, and then he gave up like his 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. So pretty interesting. So I don't know, Dan, if you want to chime into your thoughts there. Yeah, I think, I think the interesting part about this, so first and foremost, this was at the uh, kind of a point in the season where there was about four or five teams vying for the fifth and sixth playoff spots. Um, I think one of them might actually been the, been the, the second in one division where, where basically the winner of that division would have, would have received um, a second round or first round buy as the second overall pick. But the point is there was a lot of tension in the league at this point, simply because a lot of teams were vying for playoff spots and Rob and Bill row bill was one of those teams um, where they had a pretty good position, but they could increase it by, you know, obviously acquiring a ton of players and Casey, what, what, what goes unmentioned about this particular day, Casey per- offered me a trade the same day, and I'll go through that in a second, but it was also incredibly lopsided, and I declined it because it was so lopsided the day of, because I knew he was basically trying to just screw things over. So, But this particular trade at the time, I think, was even more heightened, simply because everyone was very tense about there was a lot of, lot of people push, pushing for playoff spots. The Jacob deGrom inclusion, I think, is what makes it the most lopsided. You've got an elite top three pitcher essentially going back for an aging third baseman, a middle-of-the-road shortstop, and a um, high-performing but injured Sonny Gray. The picks were also, again, good, but in that point of the season, I think people are basically used to just throwing away picks for players. Um, 
Also, Robill doesn't have the best reputation. They didn't at that point in the league um, as far as making trades and also being kind of active league members. So I think it took a lot of people by shock. And uh, yeah, so they were, Robill was um, kicked out, or Casey was kicked out of the league shortly after. So it was, it was an interesting time. I'm sorry, we're going to say Gobi? Well, Sonny Gray did help me win the league. I just want to throw that in there. Because so. I got him after Casey traded him to Jay before he got booted out like an hour before that. And then I got Sonny Gray for nothing from Jay, just saying. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, and the trade is disappointing. But, I mean, you look back at it, it's not – it's the intent, right? It's not necessarily the players. Is that Correct. I think the intent was what really struck people the wrong way. So, Casey, I guess Casey said he was trying to disrupt the league. He just said that to the, you know, the commissioner – then he got booted. So the weird thing about this is Casey had just had, uh, I was actually going to get, this is a weird story, but I was going to, uh, I was actually going to get married in November and Casey's wife was pregnant and Casey was in my wedding. And because she was pregnant, he couldn't fly at that time. So I moved my wedding date back to be the day before our, like the same week as our draft, knowing that everyone was coming to Arizona anyways. So I did that knowing Casey's in the wedding all this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, Casey and I had looked at bless you boys, glasses and shirts and everything together to co-host this. Um, and I'd done that maybe two weeks before this happened. And then all of a sudden I get a text, Casey's kicked out of the league and, uh, we'd already built like a whole wedding and everything around him coming to this and, uh, everyone coming out for the wedding. Uh, so it was pretty funny. So I, I actually, beyond looking at this and, and it gives you some context, for whatever reason, I'm in a couple of leagues with Casey. For whatever reason, the dude just loves Gene Segura. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's <laughs> for years, loves Gene Segura. So when I looked at this trade, it actually wasn't as egregious to me because I know how he feels about Donaldson. I know how he feels about Segura because I've seen him just – he just made another garbage trade in another league when he was selling for Segura as well as a keeper. Uh, Donaldson kept going last year. He didn't – people thought he would fade. He yeah, he really – Well, the season. funny part – he was the best player in this trade. The reason I say that is because the trade that I think is even more egregious is right before this, right after this happened, after Robil got this gift, he traded DeGrom over to Dan White over here for Starlin Marte. Yep. <laughs> the worst trade of all of it. And that was an absolute <laughs> no-brainer, obviously. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Uh, uh, that's – I could see this. It's, it's unfair a bit, but I don't know. If you needed stolen bases very badly, Marte was having a real solid season. DeGrom's obviously the yeah. stud. It's all about perception and value, and this is why I kind of backed off ripping on trades. When I first joined this league, I used to be like, what is happening? Why, why, why? You know, there's so many trades that drove me bonkers. But it, you have to let these things play out. And while I support the commissioner at the time, former commissioner Mike, Great. He was a great man. He had a terrific reign as the commissioner. Handed the keys over to his brother. It's the family business, apparently. Um, <laughs> but I think that you have to kind of relax. It's fun to rip on trades when they initially happen, but you got to slow down and kind of let things play out. That's that's how I see it now. Yeah, I think everyone's rankings are so so far off, especially when you talk about whatever this. What do you want to call this? A dynasty keeper league, whatever it is. The, the rankings are just so out. There. Well, we should say that, by the way. Uh, we have a rotating yeah. keeper uh, selection. Every year, like this past year, we had six keepers, right? Yep. And then at the end of 2020, it'll be eight, and it goes up to 10, and it comes back down to eight, six, right? Yep, that's, that's correct. correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, that matters too. So, it's interesting like, how many keepers and draft picks become more valuable and less valuable. That's why these trades, I don't know. I, Casey, I'm glad you're back in the league because you are a superior 
manager to Roe Bill. So that's, an, like you said earlier, Dan, it's a bonus for all of us. That's and it right. also shows that we are forgiving people, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I think, I think the reality is it's all still just fun, you know? And if we've got somebody that's active and can, can contribute like Casey and, uh, and cares, that's all that matters. Makes it more Here's fun. the thing, too, looking at it. If I look at this trade again, only one of these guys got kept, right, DeGrom? DeGrom's the only guy out of this whole trade that got kept, so that was actually kept. So if you look at it that way, is DeGrom worth two, two twos, six, you know, it's not that egregious um, when you look at it, knowing that, you know, basically he traded DeGrom as the only guy that he would have kept in. Right. He got all those picks back. So maybe it wasn't that bad. The ironic part, though, is now Casey has this team that he dumped all these players to. Right. That is, that is just incredibly ironic. But he doesn't have any of them because he traded DeGrom for Marte, so... He doesn't beat him anyways. And I've said the sale, so. for picks, so there you go. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, we are here to talk about our draft, so let's get to it. The draft happened, like I said, about a, 10 days ago, and we had six keepers for each team. So that's 14 times six is 84, I believe. So that leaves us with the first pick being the 85th best player, supposedly, right? We agree? Yep, agreed. Yep. Okay, so we have a new members of the league, uh, Steve. His name is Douche Minutia. That's the team name. Uh, Steve is a close friend of mine. I've known him for many years. Uh, Steve Guile, the man. Love you, Steve. He's excellent baseball mind. He may be the smartest guy I've ever met in my life. Uh, he wouldn't say that to you, but everybody knows him knows that. So Steve had the first pick, and he took Austin Meadows. He could have had Josh Bell. Uh, let's just talk the opening pick here. Any disagreements, any comments you see on the first pick with – Austin Meadows. Yeah, I think it's fine. I, um, I he said he was going to do it beforehand, and I looked at it, and it's all right. I, I'm not a Meadows guy. Um, I, yeah, I think the uh, obviously he had a great year last year. Um, but when I, you know, I, I had a bunch of offers for Meadows. Um, you know, I could have taken him as a six keeper if I wanted to for pretty much nothing. Um, and I just don't, I don't believe it, you know, and, and part of that comes with the juice ball and all that. you got these guys that don't have the profile that do it, but we'll see. He's a hot commodity in, in fantasy. I'll probably be proven wrong by this, but um, I think he's a juice ball guy, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm in a similar boat with Austin Meadows. I think it's a hard pick not to make, but had it been me, I would have likely gone with Bell. Um, just because you look at a guy like Bell that's 25, 26 now, um, on a, you know, marginal team, they lost Marte. So he's not going to be quite as strong a team, but he is the power on that team. And, you know, Bell's 27, not, by the way, now I want that to be clear. I know that? a lot about Josh Bell. He's 27 now. Sorry, 27, excuse me. Yeah. 27 now, but you look at prime age. Him, he's the kind of guy that juice ball or not, he's going to hit home runs and he's going to drive in runs and he's going to have a pretty high average and a pretty high OBP because he walks. So. so the biggest thing for me here, when I was looking at it, Meadows, I, I just didn't like, uh, Josh Bell's uh, exit velocity is just outstanding, right? It's almost, I'm looking at it right now, 89, 89.8. He's, and his barrel percentage is just, it's 8.5%. Like he's, when I look at Josh Bell, those, because I actually, I looked at this because I think Dan kept trying to trade him to me last year at some point. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And then I started looking at all these stats and Josh Bell, uh, even though he had such a big drop off at the end of the year, those underlying stats were, they just stood through the whole time. Mm -hmm. so I believe that that could happen. Meadows, by the same token, doesn't have that same, uh, that same trajectory. And that's why I just never, I never yep. did it. So. Yeah, I got Josh Bell for uh, Severino last year, the deadline. It was great. It worked out yeah. well. Yeah. But I did give up uh, Giolito 
there was a combination of players I gave up to get Bell and other guys first. So it looks worse than it may seem. But anyways, <laughs> uh, to let the listeners know, the top five picks were Austin Meadows, Josh Bell, then Lucas Giolito, Jesus Lizardo, Noah Syndergaard, and then it goes Hader, Loriano, oh, Ramon Loriano, sorry, Jose Abreu, Eugenio Suarez goes ninth, and then you Darvish went 10. That's your top 10. I want to know, guys, who had the draft that was – that stands out, and you're like, what, what was this guy doing? Because there's some guys that had a lot of picks that were front-loaded, and some of us had to wait till the very end, like Dan. Dan waited till the very end of the draft. By the way, we roster 23, right? 23 guys? Correct. Yeah, 23. So you keep six guys, it gives us 17 rounds of drafting. Dan is a guy that waited till the very late rounds to pick up players, and there is value because I've done it before. I just want to know who is a disappointment to you in terms of going for a front loaded draft or who is the people that made the best value with their picks later? Um, yeah. So, I mean, if I look at this, um, you know, obviously Cuddy, uh, Velvet Hammer had a lot of picks here. I actually surprisingly like what he did. Um, he typically just goes for a bunch of kids. Um, he didn't necessarily do that this year picking. I, I like the Thor pick, even though it's um, it maybe a little high, but I, I, I like the Thor pick. Oh yeah, we should say, Jason, that Cuddy had five first-round picks. Yeah, he had five first, and I, I when he did that originally, I thought he was going to do what JP did a few years ago and just pick a bunch of, you know, just looking at two years from down the road. But he he did a pretty good job of filling his his squad together here. Um, so I like what he did there. As we get into it, um, Dan and I were talking about it. I'm not sure as we go into the second, third round. I'm not sure what Jay was doing. Uh, we'll get into that. Oh, I said the same thing uh, to Dan, like on a text two weeks ago. Sorry, Jay, no yeah. offense, but hey, I got to call it like I see it. But I'll tell you, um, you know, if we extend this a little bit, um, I think uh, your boy Steve here killed the first round. When I saw him go Meadows, even though I just ripped on the Meadows pick, when I saw him go Meadows and then get Donaldson on the on the 14, uh, I really, I, I was not happy about that pick because he's got DeGrom and Scherzer uh up front now he's got all this power that just kind of fell to him i couldn't believe when donaldson fell to 14 to him um so i really liked what he did in the first round um and then yeah i wasn't there wasn't a lot of people i was i think they did a pretty good job in the first round in general what, what about you dan yeah i think i think the person that sticks out where the picks just surprised me um was anyone and then this is generally my kind of school of thought as it relates to drafts is anyone that goes really really heavy on relief pitchers early on um, when there is talent, particularly kind of middle of the order hitting talent available, just surprises me. But it happens every year. And sometimes those teams end up having incredibly low, you know, cumulative ERA and whips. Um, but like when Jay went Osuna, Hendricks, and Rogers um, in three consecutive second round picks, that surprised me. Um, I think, you know, I look, I look at John. Um, I look at Johnny Fish Pasta, my buddy John, he kind of did a similar thing. He actually took three closers to begin with in the fourth round. Um, just kind of a strange approach where I feel like and this is well documented, but you know, closers come in the league, right? And, and the old adage is you don't pay for saves because you can get them throughout the course of the season. So John and Jay surprised me with that. And then the other side of that, I agree. I think Cuddy did a fantastic job of balancing his roster. I think getting Suarez in the first round, waiting to get him uh, was, was a really smart move. And I think now more than ever, he's going to be ready by the time the season starts. And this guy hit, you know, almost 50 home runs last year. So to me, that's a huge steal. Um, I also think given the picks that he had, that Scott did a fantastic job. Again, he went closer first, but he also went arguably the best, best closer in baseball with Hader and getting Nelson Cruz 
think Carrasco and Biggio um, and Rosario, I think those are just really, really strong picks. So I look at Scott's team. It's very balanced for not having a ton of early picks. Um, so those, that's who stood out to me. Yeah. I felt when that Nelson, when he, when Nelson Cruz fell to Scott, I did the same thing. When I saw you went hater Cruz, that's just a great first round for him too. Yep. Uh, what about Mike taking? So at the 10th pick, Mike had you Darvish selected. He could have had glass now who Cuddy took the pick after. Would you rather have Darvish or glass now in this league? <laughs> Don't ask I'm well documented. I'll go first. I'm well documented how I feel about Darvish. I'm not a huge fan. Um, I think he is a rebound candidate, but I would have gone Glass now. Glass now is younger. I think he's on a team that's got an incredibly strong pitching coach. Um, I'm just not sure about Darvish this year, but I know Jason has a very different opinion on him. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I went to uh, um, right after the Cubs signed him. I went to watch him and play Miami. I've never and, and I've sat behind home plate for Johan Santana. All these guys. I've never seen a guy move a slider and move the pitches. And I think he's got like nine pitches in his repertoire now or whatever. Yep. I've never seen um, that kind of movement from those that many different pitches. So I'm a believer. And he was unhittable the second half of last season. And even you know I had him. I kept him last year. And um, he, he, his numbers, he was, he kept getting, you know, he was getting rocked at the beginning of the year, but he would go like five innings with one hit and a bunch of strikeouts. And then the sixth inning, he just, you know, give it up. Uh, and then all of a sudden, so it looked like he was slowly getting it because coming back from Tommy John or coming back from uh, his injury, his burnt bone spur that he had his arm. Uh, and then all of a sudden it just clicked that second half. So I, I actually love it. I've actually, Mike, I'm going to have Darvish probably by the time the season starts. Mike and I are <laughs> endlessly about trades here for Darvish. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer. I, I might have sold him on that pick while we were sitting at the table, too. Um, <laughs> so, um, I love it. I like Glass now, too, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, that when he was a – he burned me so many times when he was a Pittsburgh Pirate that I just I, uh, there's some kind of weird thing in my head for glass now still. Oh, uh, don't let that happen, man. You can't let that previous bias is going to screw you. You got to, you know, <laughs> you know, you like, know. Yeah. Uh, so Cuddy's five first round picks. I just want to mention them in real quick. They were Jesus Lazardo, Noah Syndergaard, Ramon Laureano, Eugenio Suarez and Tyler glass now. So that's a nice first round hall of players. I got to give him credit for that. Now, Travis who had two first round picks himself. Travis is, uh, two-time winner of this league, Dan? Yep, correct. Yeah, but he hasn't won in a few years, and some say Travis may be past his prime. Uh, this is the rumors flying around, so he's got a lot to prove this year, and with his two first-round picks, he took Lucas Giolito at third overall, and then he took Jose Barrios at the 13th overall pick. He had all these starting pitchers for his first seven or eight picks. It was madness. What is your take on Travis Williams' First round, second round, third round, kind of starting pitcher hoarding draft strategy. Yeah, it was really fascinating to me to watch this because um, Travis has a system. Uh, John always reminds me of his system, and I've, I've seen oh, yeah. <laughs> pieces of this system. Um, and I've also seen Travis have incredibly balanced teams year after year. But the last couple of years, they've been what I would consider to be somewhat um, imbalanced. Um, in, in a few different ways, but to go pitcher heavy, I mean, to me, Giolito, for him to go with the third overall pick for Giolito, that is a pretty big sign that he believes that that guy is an, is a, is an ace on the level of any other pitcher that would have gone, right? So that's a big testament to that guy. Barrios, to me, was, was who I would have taken with my 2-1 pick if he was available over a Trevor yeah. Bauer. 
Um, really? I, I believe in him pretty heavily. Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, although his spring training numbers thus far or before it ended weren't, weren't great. Um, but uh, yeah, I, Travis, the, the, the pick that, that made me believe that he is kind of set up for success this year is that he took Fran Reyes at 21. To me, um, going pitcher heavy, great. He's got some good hitters. But he's clearly banking on winning pitching every week, which is it's a volatile category, and pitchers are volatile as it relates to injuries. So he's got a little there's, there's some risk there, but he definitely has enough pitchers to mitigate a couple guys getting hurt for sure. Yeah. Before we get to Jason's comments on this, uh, in the second round, Travis did take three hitters in Fran Mel Reyes, and he took Max Kepler, and he also took Sano with his first second round pick. So he did pick up three hitters in the second round before he went back to the starting pitcher Bender. So uh, right. what about you, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I um, I hated the Giolito pick. I loved the Berrios pick. Um, and then I loved, I really liked what he did with getting Sano and Framo Reyes. Like, I think that's great. One of the interesting things looking at his team, so if, if we take a step back and look at his keepers, he kept Walker Bueller. So that's, he had, he had his ace, and then he went all hitters. But the most, the weirdest thing to me about his keepers were Kyle Schwarber. Uh, he kept Kyle Schwarber uh, as one of the six keepers. He could have they could have had Austin Meadows for basically three if he wanted to, if he wanted to make a trade. Um, and that's interesting because Kyle Schwarber would have been one of my uh, – what I was hoping him to fall like in the third round or something to me because his uh, second half of the season was remarkable from OBP standpoint. Um, but, you know, knowing that he has – it is interesting that he kept Schwarber and then now he, you know, paired him with guys like Miguel Sano, Bramel Reyes, and – um, you know, Max Kepler, if you're, you're believing in Max Kepler's year last year, which, which I, right. I don't believe in it because of the juice ball and, and the guys looks like a twig. So, <laughs> well, Jay had five second round picks as we alluded to, he took a couple closers and Jay's draft to me. I, I don't know. He had all these front loaded picks and I, I'm just not thrilled with it. I'm wondering how you guys feel about Jay's draft. And again, closers are volatile. So why don't you just wait? You know how often closer jobs change in the first month of the season? I mean, Jason, you're like the master of picking up closers before they come closers. That's your thing, in my opinion, in this league. So what do you guys think of this this uh, strategy? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I actually, it'll be, when we get to mine, it'll be, I actually had, because of the keepers I, I, I had, um, I had a plan of taking all the elite relievers uh, because elite. I, I, my feeling is elite relievers stay in their job and then, the other guys will become available. Uh, and no matter what, I, I usually get a lot of relievers so I can move them. Cause I assume that you can get a reliever in like the ninth round and trade up for a guy that got drafted in the second or third round. So usually I have a goal like that. Um, so I think like Osuna is a great, I, I'm okay with the Roberto Osuna pick uh, because I don't think he's going to lose his job. Um, Liam Hendricks. It's weird. Oakland scares me because uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, you had the year before you got, uh, I can't think of the Dodgers guy now. I can't think of his name for the minute. Yeah. Blake Trannon. Yeah, exactly. He's a main Blake Trannon came out of, uh, I drafted him in like the 13th round the season before. And then all of a sudden he's the best closer in the league. Um, not named Edwin Diaz, but you know, then that, got, that happened. There's but, a stat on the A's by the way, like back to 2012, they haven't had back to back same saves. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think their system breeds these guys out. So Hendricks could be the same thing. And Hendricks goes, all that, all that happened with Trinan last year is he just got injured. And he, you know, he was still doing good at being a season, got injured. Hendricks comes up and is amazing. And they just gave Hendricks the job. So what happens if Hendricks gets injured for two weeks? They're just going to hand it to the next guy. Um, so, you know, I don't think, you know, I think one thing they proved in that area is they, if they can build value in a guy and flip them, they're not going to keep them, right? 
Um, so that, that's something I would say with that pick. Uh, Taylor Rogers was amazing last year. Uh, and his, his K rate was insane. Uh, so I'm okay with that. Minnesota's going to win a lot of games. But, man, he had these early picks. And he, you know, his, his team's interesting. He kept uh, Conforto, uh, Air Jordan, Air Jordan uh, Joey Gallo, Keston Hyera, Adalberto Mondesi, and Max Muncy. So he kept all hitters, um, a lot of outfielders. So there's a He's anti-SP, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I would have, knowing that I had those picks, you know, I would have probably gone after some, uh, some big hitters. And then the weird thing that he filled, he, he followed it up with the starting pitchers. That's, that's where, um, you got to get a hitter in there somewhere. Oh, with the Nelson lament. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of questions with that pick, right? What about you, Dan? What do you, how do you see Jay's draft? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the, um, he, he you said he's pro SP. I would say he's, he's pro, um, <laughs> he's pro stolen bases. I, I, sorry, he's pro stolen bases. Um, oh, yeah, he's anti SP, but I want sorry, to he's anti SP. I wanted to say anti SP, pro SB, if you will. <laughs> the guy yep. loves a good steals guy. Um, Montessi is a good example of that. But yeah, I mean, to me, Bell, again, great pick, right? Getting him with the second overall, smart. I think Grandal, to, for whatever reason, you know, guys, Monty Grandal, even after the season he had last year, is just not getting the credit I think he deserves as a monster behind the plate also multi-position eligibility if you have another catcher by chance and want to move him around you can um, I love both of those picks again I've already kind of made it clear on how I feel about closers you're right elite closers Jason they don't come around um, usually mid-season but I think if you can stack a couple mid-tier guys just to just to get those saves in that category on occasion I think you can make up for that um, but I, I think he's going to be really struggling as it relates to starting pitching I mean, if you're looking at Frankie Montez and Daniel Danielson lament as your two kind of guys, I think you're going to be in big trouble. I just don't see him competing um, in K's and wins um, and potentially ERA and strikes and also getting enough innings per week. Like he's going to have to stream from what I gather. But I think other than that, I think he's got a good balanced offense. I just don't see the pitching coming to fruition for him. And you're right. I look at this like a guy that took these, these players for the first call it, his first nine picks it makes guys like Marcus Simeon and other players available in the third and fourth round for people like me that don't have those early picks and I actually take that as a benefit right if guys are taking other players that maybe are being overdrafted or drafted higher than normal it just make it just it kind of pushes everything back like a domino where good players are available later and later and later for other teams so so let's look at this real quick Okay, let's say he takes Osuna and Hendricks at 22 and 23. That's fine. Okay, so you get two solid closers. But then yep. at 25 and 27, he takes Rodgers and Lamette. But he could have had, first of all, a guy who loves steals. He could have had Kevon Biggio, who's also a great OBP guy, and yep. a young up-and-coming dude. I love, I love, in, in this league in particular, I love Biggio. Um, he could have had Wilson Contreras, but he took Grandel, so that's fine. Uh, Mike Moustakis, Marcus Simeon, very undervalued. He went in the middle of the third round. I, I wonder if he'll look back and be like, ah, man, man. maybe I should have done this. You guys believe in Marcus Simeon? Yeah, well, if we're going to talk about the guy that I drafted with my, with my third-round pick, yeah, I do. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> juice, juice ball last year for sure, right? Is he going to hit 30-plus home runs again? Maybe not. But is he going to steal, you know, 10 to 15 bases and hit 25 home runs for a position shortstop? But frankly, shortstop's pretty deep. But I, I just I believe in him. I think that team's actually underrated offensively. Um, 
And yeah, I think, I think for a guy that hits with power and is going to steal some bases, I think he's a value um, in the third round in this league. I don't love Marcus Simeon. I, I mean, I could have had him with my first pick was a second round pick. I took Jeff McNeil. I'm right. fine with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his floor is great because McNeil hits for a high average. So that also benefits the OBP, even if his walk rate is so-so. Simeon, he kind of exploded last year so brightly at age 29, but there was always a lot expected of him. Maybe this is finally that time. I'm a little hesitant, but I don't know. I'm, I'm somewhat open to it. I, I feel like, Jason, you're saying you don't like Simeon. Yeah, I just wouldn't pay for him. Um, he's one of those guys that I feel like every year um, – for a lot of you, he's always getting drafted. I know that's been, he blew up last season. So it's a little bit earlier this year, but he's just a guy I seem like, I feel like he's, I picked him up on my team in June or July every season and he fills a role for me. Right. Uh, it's not a guy right. that I'm seeing uh, that I want to burn an early pick on, but we'll see. I mean, I, I you, you talked to me three years ago, I'm telling you Marcus Simeon is going to be this monster and you guys got to pick him up. So, um, but you know, he could be another one of those once bitten twice shy guys, but um, we'll, we'll see. So, um, yeah, so that, that's where I am there. All right, what about you two specifically? So before we get to some other teams, how do you guys feel about your drafts? Uh, what were the best – what are a pick or two that you're like, man, I love the value? Is there a pick that you already regret? Dan, we can start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I was really happy with Bauer at 2-1. To me, he is a – He's an enigma. He's a strange bird. Um, I think everyone probably knows that. He's, he's well-documented. He's a self-identified um, nerd. But um, when he's right and when his head's right, uh, he's an elite pitcher. And I think going to Cincinnati, so heading across, um, heading over from Cleveland to Cincinnati uh, on a team that is expected to be very competitive this year um, with a good staff um, and a good overall coaching staff, I think he seems, from what I've seen, I watched a couple couple interviews with him recently, and he seems happy. And I think he's the kind of guy that performs better when he's feeling better, just about his team and his environment. And Cleveland just it just wasn't a good place the last couple of years. So and he's in a contract about, year. And he's in a contract year, which is obviously highly debated as it relates to players. I mean, Rindon last year had an incredible year, and, and people say that that doesn't always affect him. I think it does. Personally, I'm on the side of the fence that it makes a big difference. Um, but obviously, so I like him. I think the two, the two picks that stand out to me that I'm very happy with, um, as it relates to where I got them, I think Will Myers at 177. I mean, to me, to get a guy that late who is, is of a pretty strong pedigree, um, and, and was having an incredible spring training. If he gets playing time, if he's able to insert himself in the lineup, even in the seventh or eighth spot, um, I think he could be an incredible value or if if he plays well and gets traded to a team that actually has an opening, which has been the rumor for a long time, I love him as a potential breakout. Um, but it's a long shot. He's, he's been that guy for a couple of years and he hasn't, hasn't come to fruition. He's either been injured or he just hasn't gotten the playing time. The other guy that I'm happy about is Josh James. I think if Josh James makes that fifth spot in the rotation with Verlander having groin surgery, I think that's a better possibility now to me, Josh James has elite stuff. He is a, you know, 95 to 98 fastball. He's, he can, he can strike guys out. His K rate last year as a reliever was incredibly high. So I'm really happy about Josh James and Will Myers. Um, I, I think those are two guys that will outperform their draft positions by a significant amount. And then lastly, who am I kind of upset that I drafted? Why I took Scott Oberg at when I, where I took him just makes no sense to me. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know what I was thinking. It was kind of an impulse pick. I was like, Oh, I need some relief pitchers. 
And he's just not the guy I should have taken. He had a good year last year, but just not a, not a guy that's going to make any difference. And I've subsequently dropped him since then. So what did uh, what pick did you take Oberg at? 223. Oh, yeah, yeah, so real quick, uh, just for hindsight's sake, you took Scott Oberg. You could have had Nico Horner maybe take a flyer, Johnny Cueto, Chris Archer, uh, Steven Matz, Rick Porcello, Domingo Santana, OBP Lord, on an outfield in Cleveland that is wide open. Just saying. Yeah. But yep, definitely a regrettable pick for sure. <laughs> Jason, what about you? How about your team? What's hot? What's not? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so one thing I'll say uh, too about, about your pick, the James pick, um, I think one thing that we're going to talk a lot about are players that have more value now with the, the season um, being cut off, you know, being shortened. I think James went way up my board. If, if we would have drafted today, I would have drafted him way earlier, uh, knowing that, you know, he's making that transition. He's going to have that role. Uh, so I love that pick for you. Um, and, and, you know, I'll take him off your hands whenever you want. <laughs> so, so, so post quarantine, he, yeah. uh, he'd be much sexier. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cause well, no we, age uh, limit. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So he's good. But we make fun of John trading, but Dan is just ready like anyone else to pull the trigger on a deal. So let's not short Dan on his incredible trading excitement. Please, please text me. I'm always available. I'm up. <laughs> yeah. And you're not going to say who you want. You're just gonna be like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. We, we can do a whole segment on the art of negotiation if you'd like to, but that's probably not worth it for this podcast. But, you know. um, so yeah, so I came in um, with a pretty clear plan and I, I do that every year with of, of where I'm going to speci- specifically with my first pick. So I had the 35th overall pick um, and I think second base, my whole goal was to get a really strong second baseman because I think the second base market is, is just, it's awful, right? And there's not going to be too many guys coming off the, um, you know, off the waiver wire. So I had a goal of jumping the gun and picking up Moose with that pick. Uh, and I thought there was no doubt that Moose was going to be available still at 35, because why would anybody take him? But I forgot JP's in this GD league. Um, and uh, JP jumped, you know, he, he took him like 30 spots early, uh, and, and sniped me with pick 32 or something like that. 31. 31, uh, which I saw that, and I had been drinking a little bit. I, was, I couldn't believe my eyes. That <laughs> it was my whole – I had that. I didn't keep a second baseman. I didn't target one in the offseason because all I wanted was Moose's power at second base, and that was perfect for my team. Um, if there's any, if there's any consequence, I was going to take him uh, right before you with uh, before I took him. So, <laughs> so we all had the same consequence. It's, it's, it's a cliff afterwards, but I was happy. I eventually got Brandon Lau, which I'm a big fan of, um, and uh, so I'm I'm fine with that because he has some big upside and he's going to be playing against left-handed pitchers this year. Uh, so that I was actually pretty happy I got that, but I was really surprised. So I remember I was sitting there at pick 32 before me. And I saw there was four guys that weren't even on my, my board that were going to follow me. So I saw Kluber was, was one of them. I saw Kenley Jansen was there, and I couldn't believe it. Because uh, obviously I'd, I'd had that relief pitcher, elite relief pitcher idea um, early on. And then uh, when I saw, and I saw Semyon, I wasn't going to take him, but I was surprised he was there. Uh, so when you took him, um, I, was, I was hoping you were going to take him to, to, to let Kluber follow me. Because I kept six bats i've got a whole bunch of big bats i've got a little bit of speed trey turner but i've got judge stanton you know uh, harper a lot of a lot of big bats uh so i needed some pitching so kluber falling to me as a potential ace was shocking to me um so that was cool and then i did uh you know as we talked uh took some relief pitchers uh i liked and then um i i he was not even remotely on my radar but i was very excited when justin upton fell to me uh yeah yeah so i was pretty surprised i got him at 70 
Um, so when he, cause I was actually planning on jumping the board with, uh, Kai Boom at some point, cause he was getting that third base job, uh, when Upton was there, even though I, I don't, I can't even physically play him in my lineup. I don't have a left field or, or utility spot. I took him knowing that there was just so much value there. If he ends up, um, you know, he hit some bombs, I can move him pretty quickly or potentially it frees me up to move Stanton or judge eventually. If need be. Um, so I was excited there. Uh, and then, um, you know, I, 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 I was really excited uh, now about my Shohei Atani pitcher pick. <laughs> um, when I, 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 obviously, Mike had been talking about him. Mike's a big fan of Shohei Atani. Um, I've been a big fan of him forever, but uh, I decided to take a risk there, knowing I'd have to put him in the IL. But obviously, with the, late, the league starting late now, uh, I'd probably get a full season out of him. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, it's him potentially being... Uh, you know, a number two for me, um, uh, number two or three, because I've got Hendricks as well. So. You also stole Dan's, I don't know, this might be Dan's guy with uh, Dylan Carlson at pick 99. <laughs> so, yeah, so the Dylan Carlson pick, um, there's one thing Cubs fans know, and that is, uh, so A, I think the Cardinals team this year is terrible. Like, I don't think they're a playoff contender. I don't think they're very good. And every time I say that, that they end up, like last year, they end up coming out of nowhere, and it's all Cardinals voodoo magic. That's, that's what I believe in. And so I figure if that's going to happen, it's got to be Dylan Carlson that's going to blow up this year. So I'm counteracting the Cardinals voodoo magic by going after Dylan Carlson. Uh, <laughs> actually, in, uh, in all honesty, though, he's, I'm a big, big fan of his. I've looked at you know, all his steamer projections. Um, if he gets a full season, uh, everyone's got him as a 25-25 guy. And um, so the only yep. thing comes in is playing time. The Cardinals are super old-fashioned, so who knows if he gets called up or not, and they've got a log jam in the outfield. Uh, but now with the half season, I got it. He's ready. I think he's going to come up at some point. And he, um, there's two guys that I said with draft with position could win a league. I think Carlson's one of those guys. And I also think Luis Robert could be one of those guys, or Robert or whatever you call him. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if they really step up, they could be speed, power, all that sort of stuff. So that's where it was there. Do you regret taking Jake Arietta at 115? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know i i've been drinking i need a starting pick. homer pick there yeah it's fine so uh i wanted innings um i needed starting pitchers so i went to naka and Arietta there um we'll see i it's one of those things i didn't think i had to get a starting pitcher that is going to get innings uh i didn't you know knowing that my draft was ending at 1 142 um you know, I knew he wasn't going to fall to the waiver wire. Somebody's going to pick him with their last pick or something like that. So I decided to do it. Um, my other weird pick was I took Mike Tockman. Um, I, I, I came into the draft saying I had to draft him because I had Judge and Stanton, um, knowing that if, if, you know, those guys aren't both playing, then I've got a, I've got a center fielder or I've got a guy that would fill in for them. Um, and oddly, odd story, he's actually married to uh, somebody that works on my team's uh, white. He's at her, her sister is married to Mike Tockman. So wow, like, that's, really? random. Mike Tockman. that's funny. So, uh, I was, I jumped, I jumped in, I got him pretty early last season too. Uh, cause I, I knew, I knew as soon as he got traded, he was going to be good. So. Okay. Well, Hey, these guys love drafting and they're pretty good at it, but we all make mistakes. Uh, I know I got some that I regret over the years, but I'm pretty happy with my draft. I, I'm more focused on the rest of the league, but you know, real quickly, I took McNeil, like I said, in the second round. A lot of people are interested in McNeil. I might move him, but I really love McNeil. And then uh, I didn't have a pick till round six. I took Luke Voigt late in round six to be my first baseman. If he's healthy, he's a great OBP guy. I think that's and a great pick. Great pick. 
Oh, thanks, Dan. Uh, I feel very confident in that. I could have had some other guys like Lourdes Goriel or Kyle Tucker to build for the future, but I wanted first base, oddly enough, being kind of lacking depth this year, which is very rare in our lives. But then the best pick now, because this is the most benefit of this season delay, is James Paxton in round seven. Because now he's going to probably start the year being, <laughs> I'm going to get a full season or whatever the full season is of James Paxton, right? Not to mention your, your keeper of Mike Clevenger, right? Like you've got two guys on your team that are going to benefit immensely. Um, and one of which is an elite pitcher that probably would have been top five or six overall had he not been hurt. So as far as pitchers are concerned, so you, you, you've got a couple guys that are going to come out, I think, swinging in, in a big way, and that's a big deal, um, as opposed to having to have guys start in the IL for two or three weeks and maybe get behind, right? Yeah, and then Shohei Otani as a batter. I took the Shohei Otani batter version because we all know how Yahoo, Yahoo does this ridiculous thing where they split it up. But now that he'll be able to get more healthy for his pitching, he shouldn't miss as many games. That'll be a slight benefit too. So those are just – that's total luck. I lucked out. Uh, and then I surprised, I was kind of stunned that Mitch Garver goes at the yeah. end of round seven. Clearly nobody seems to buy into him. And I, I didn't want to take another catcher because I kept Gary Sanchez, but I thought I just, I had to take a chance. Do you guys think Mitch Garver was the ultimate fluke? What do you guys think? Uh, you actually sniped me with that pick. I was taking Garver over Carl. I get Carlson later. Um, I was a little worried. A few, I was worried a few guys jumping him, but Carlson was always my last pick of the draft. Um, and then you sniped me, you sniped Garber right in front of me, who was going to be my catcher. Um, so then I got scared and drafted Dylan Carlson. So. <laughs> I didn't want to get sniped again. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I believe I'm with you. I think there's a lot of value there. Um, I liked him. I, Sal Perez, I think, was there too, right? He, he went – that was the other one I was watching. Sal Perez went 124. Um, and those were, those were the two guys. I was like, yeah, I should have grabbed one of them because um, they both fell – pretty far yeah but i hate sell president obp lee because he never walks yeah but he always plays he does if he's healthy he's he'll give you 500 plate appearances no problem that's right uh, what about you on garver dan you like garver or? yeah i like garver i think i think there's a, there's a couple teams that catchers for whatever reason always get overlooked and for some reason the twins are that team maybe because they've had a string of kind of marginal catchers. Um, but he's, he's one of those guys that had an incredible start to the season last year and had a kind of just rocket out of the gate. And yeah, I think people just kind of forgot. Um, catchers also get hurt a lot, right? So they'll, they might miss two or three weeks and people just move on when guys get hurt as opposed to sitting on them. So he's an example of a guy that is, I mean, just based on stats should have been drafted much higher than that. So I like that pick. And then my regretful pick is taking Mackenzie Gore a couple picks later in round eight. Uh, I, know, I know now that he will come up. I, I feel very confident in that, but you know, if I was going to take Mackenzie Gore, I should have took Wander Franco with that pick. That was my pick. Right. Yeah. As soon as I yeah. did that, I'm like, damn it, what am I doing? This is a hitter's league. And I, I, I regretted that because then, of course, Scott took Wander Franco, and now he'll never let him go out of his clutches. <laughs> I don't know, though. How, doesn't this, does this half-season delay Wander Franco? It, it might. I, I think, yeah, go it ahead. might. Yeah. You think so? I do. Yeah, I think I think we're, what we're going to see here. Here's the thing: if the season's truncated, right? So if there's not a full season, and if it's maybe half a season, you're talking about a full season of pitching stats going from, you know, on average 200 innings pitch for 162 games. We'll say we only pay 100 games, so that goes down to 115 innings, right? Give or take. 
I think you're also, you're, so you're going to see guys that are not necessarily maxing out on what they would typically throw in a full season. And there's going to be less need to bring a guy up to substitute every fifth or sixth or seventh day for starters that are in a rotation where they normally might need that break later in the season. If the season isn't truncated, which I think it will be, if it isn't, you might see a guy like that come up. But I just have a feeling if they truncate the season, these guys that are on the cusp, they will retain them to get that extra year as opposed to bringing them up. I really do yeah. think they will. Rwanda Franco will be back in the, he'll be a free, he'll be able to draft him next season. He's never played an inning above a, you know, uh, he's never played double A anything before. I don't think Franco's getting called up this year. Sadly, I mean, he's, he's going to be fun to watch. But, Even uh, though we'll have two more keeper slots going up to eight. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen. We don't, a lot of guys don't keep, I mean, we, we, we guys don't keep elite keepers and I mean, elite yeah, uh, uh, rookies. Uh, yeah. Well, especially elite. Scott, you're right. Scott hates that, right? He's the guy who will not do that. Yes. He will not keep yeah. him. If that's, if that's the option, he's not up. I do not see him being kept by Scott. Trade bait, trade bait. Yeah. You guys are right. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay. the opposite of that though. Think about, you know, some of these guys, um, if you, you have these fringe guys that are maybe like the fourth best uh, prospect in, in the, on their team and they get called up. So guys think of like Austin Riley last year, if Austin Riley only had to play that half season before people, you know, found out he can't hit a curveball, um, you know, how much value would have that been? That, I mean, he could have won a league if you would have just been able to have those two months where he was right. The right. Yeah. The guys fair. that they're going to call up that they don't want to bring up their elite prospects anymore. They're bringing up these kind of second tier guys that can just mash the ball until someone figures them out. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys could be league winners this year. Yeah, um, that's true. That's and and so that's an interesting, an interesting thing I was thinking about with, uh, and we see it, especially last year with the juice ball. Um, I think I tried to shop Pete Alonzo to, to Dan White for half the season. He kept saying, uh, you know, this guy's going to fall off. Eventually he's going to fall off just like all of them didn't. But for, you know, every one of him, there's the Austin Riley's, these guys. Yeah, he was an outlier in that regard, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there was, I mean, there was two or three guys came out at the end of the season that just mashed, right? Uh, yeah. Those guys will win. I think that, that could be a big, big uh, underlying story with this, this half season. Yeah, yeah.